Well, good morning, Family Church. There was a little bit of a change up this morning. I woke up to my phone ringing, and it was Pastor Terry on the line, and he had woke me up. Sometimes he jokes around about these things, sometimes he doesn't. So I'm never really sure if he's joking or not. And he said, Casey, I have bad news. I said, okay. It's like the first thing waking up to. I have bad news this morning. He's like, Andy can't make it. He's sick. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? So if you've seen your bulletins this morning, Pastor Andy is supposed to be delivering the message. That is true. He is. But he woke up this morning. He went to bed feeling bad last night. He woke up this morning with a high fever. And so we woke up to that this morning. And our backup plan was to have a video message for you this morning. Um, and I was torn on that. We, we're, we're trying to get back to really what a family is. When you have an emergency situation or something that happens in your family, you talk about it with the family. And that doesn't mean that you have everything in order as a family, as you know. It means sometimes things may go off the cuff. Sometimes things may go very structured and planned. But as a family, the family church, a group of committed Christians here by God... I was torn about that, but I said, okay, let's, let's do the message, and we already had a video picked, and it was a great, great video by a very, very well-known pastor, and um, I was here, and one of our church members grabbed me, and they said, Casey, if you felt led to preach this morning, I have full confidence in you, and if you stand up and you share what God has placed on your heart, what you've been studying, I am sure God will speak to us. And I have faith in you, and I put my trust in you. And just hearing that from church members saying these things, that regardless of if it's planned out or a video or as structured as it normally is, that they want to hear or you want to hear from one of your pastors. And so I just went in my office, and I was sitting there. We, we're, we're making all these preparation and plan. And Terry comes in, and we're, we're working on things. And I just tell him, I'm burdened now about preaching, that I feel like possibly I should do that. And he's like, we already have this whole thing planned out. We're already doing this. And I said, I'm supposed to be preaching this message next week. So I said, I, and then hearing that from the church member. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to do that. And if the church wants to hear from one of their pastors, we're going to do this. I know that that was only one member who said that. 
so they spoke for all of you. Um, so, you know, if, if afterwards, okay, okay. Um, it may not be that afterwards, you know, so. But, and, and know there may come a time where we can't do this, where it might just be a video, or it might just be Pastor Terry and I getting up here sharing what God's doing in our life, or maybe some things we're learning that God's teaching us, or maybe it's a question and answer time where we just open questions. It could be any of those things. When we look at the early church, it wasn't as structured as this show or as this message. It was very much a grassroots body of Christians getting together. It could just be a morning of prayer where we just talk about things going on in our life. So I want to begin the message talking about Pastor Terry since it's not very a, a planned thing. Pastor Terry last week said he was preaching on verses 27 and 28. And I don't know if you all caught it, but I did. He said he was preaching on verses 27 and 28, and he was talking to me of how proud he was doing these things because he had before only preached on one verse. And afterwards, I went to him and I asked him, Where did, when did you preach on verse 28? And he was like, I preached on 28. And I said, read 28. And he read 28. He's like, oh, I didn't do 28. <laughs> and he said, you know what's really funny? I almost put it in my message that I was going to preach 27 and 28, and then he was going to point me out and say, see, Casey, I hope you're proud of me this morning. I'm doing two verses, and he only did one. So it puts me in a difficult spot. I was already having issues because verses 27, 28, 29, and 30 in the Greek is one sentence, one complete thought. So I'm supposed to preach on 28 through 30 this morning, um, but we're going to start back with 27 and complete the thought. So if you have your Bibles... <laughs> We're going to be in Philippians, we're going to be in chapter 1, verse 27, then we're going to go through verse 30. And again, please give me grace. But would we, before we do that, let's, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Let's pray. God, we know that you are the one who directs all paths. We know that it's by your sovereign grace that our air conditioner is not working this morning. We know that by your sovereignty that Andy was not able to make it this morning either. And um, God, we, we're going to be obedient to you anyways. We are going to be obedient to presenting your word. And God, we just pray that you may use me, just as we sang, I am unworthy to read your word, to enter into prayer with you, to present your word. We're unworthy to hear your word. But God, I thank you through the power of the Holy Spirit that you do speak to us and you change us. So God, I pray that you may use me despite my brokenness. I am an unclean vessel with unclean lips, just a jar of clay as your word says. But God, may you speak to our hearts. May we listen with the right attitude in mind this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. And it goes on and it says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their coming destruction, but of your salvation and that given by God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe, but also suffer for his name's sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and am now hearing that I still have. So Paul is writing this from Rome, and he's writing this from a jail cell, and he's writing to this church. So he's talking about the persecution he's currently going through, and he's telling them of this thing. And I want you to underline in your Bible, it's okay if you underline in your Bible, 
if you want to. Don't, don't have to. Let your manner of life be is one word in the Greek. And it's the word palatuame. Let your manner of life be. It's one word and it comes from the, the root word polis. Polis meaning city. And so Paul here is telling them palatuame, your manner of life. Let your manner of life be this. So what does a city have to do with your manner of life? It's a good question. We wouldn't know that unless we read the Greek, but he's saying this is how you to live in a city. And it goes, and it's very important because the Philippians would have understood this. Because one, this term isn't one he would normally use. It was different than what you would normally use in this language. And two, it was different than that, but two, it would have evoked a certain amount of passion and feelings for the individuals he was telling these things to. It would have brought about something. Have you ever heard something and it made you stand up a little prouder? You know that feeling? The first time maybe you were called a man by your dad, right? Anybody remember the first time you really remember struggling if you were a man or a woman? I remember sitting in church and the pastor said, would all the men in the congregation please stand? And I remember being in high school and I'm like, I think that's me now. And I remember standing and you stand up proud and your shoulders are straight and you're like, I'm living this out. Well, he's saying this to a group of Christians, palatuame, Stand up in a worthy of what? And he goes on to say, in a, wor- in a manner worthy of Christ. So, palatuame means citizen. Citizen to live as a free citizen, a Roman state. To live as a good citizen, conducting oneself in a manner which you should. So, Paul is writing from the middle of Rome. And he's writing to this Philippian city, which is a Roman colony. And Roman colonies, even if they're a thousand miles away, thousand miles away, you step into that Roman colony, everybody's dressed the same. They're dressed in Roman attire. They're dressed, they're talking in Roman language. They greet each other in a Roman manner. Anyone walk in Starbucks here on the island, right? You can go a thousand miles away and walk in another Starbucks, and what do you see? Very much the same thing. It doesn't matter which Starbucks you go to, They have a culture set up in there, and it was the same thing with Rome or a Roman Empire. To step in a Roman colony was like stepping in Rome itself. And so he says, Palatuame, act as a citizen like Rome, but then he translates it into something else. He says, act as a citizen like Rome, but more importantly than that, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he was saying to them, listen, you know full well your privileges as a Roman citizen. The highest in the world. You have a right honor to stand up straight and act in a manner worthy of being a Roman citizen. But then he said this, you're not a citizen of Rome anymore. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Of the kingdom of heaven. Every single one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we're not a citizen of the United States. We're not a citizen of any country or nation anymore. We're a citizen of heaven. So, palatuame, what does that mean for us? It means we're supposed to be living in a manner worthy of our citizenship. And our citizenship is where? Heaven. We are supposed to be walking in so much of that way in our life that we are walking like a citizen of heaven. That's the word palatuame that he uses. He goes on to tell them in verse 27, if you have your Bibles, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. When Terry preached last, I hope we understand none of us are worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
So we're supposed to live our life in such a manner knowing that we're not good enough, but we're going to strive for that. The new, the NLT translates this verse this way, above all, act as citizens of heaven. Later in Philippians 3.20, we actually see this played out, where Paul is telling them this in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ironically, the word politueme is where we get our word politics from. The very word that used to stand for in one sentence or one word politueme stood for acting in a manner worthy, upright, steadfast, honest, pure. It's where we get our word politics from. There's a lot changed since then, right? When you hear the word politics now, you don't necessarily think of any of those, at least I don't, any of those manners. But that's where we get our word polity from, and politics was politueme, living in a manner worthy to represent or honor your city. So we, as followers of Christ, are supposed to live in a way worthy of the, being a citizen of heaven. And as we continue on, and by the way, Terry's going to preach a message on politics one day. You can just ask him about that. Um, we'll, we'll give that job to him to do. Um, let's continue on. Verse 27, it says, Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm is a military term. And then striving is an athletic term. So Paul uses kind of terms with action. And if you know the Roman Empire, standing firm was a key military word. And they used this to represent a phalanx, a Roman type of army maneuver. So if you've ever seen any movies from the Roman Empire or Gladiator, any of those movies, they used a, um, an order called a phalanx. And it was, you have a soldier... Standing, he has his shield, he has his sword or his spear, and his job being the frontline man, when the command is given, he stands firm. He has spikes on his shoes that help him get a grip, and they were six-inch spikes that would dig down into the ground. So that when the enemy smashed into him, he wouldn't fall back, he could actually brace himself. He has his shield, but beside him would be another soldier with his shield, and another soldier with his shield, to where when the command is given, every single one of them put their shields up at the same time. And the people behind them, they put their shields at an angle. And the people behind them over the top. So a volley of arrows comes, a command's given by their general. And in an instance, the front shields go, the top shields go, and then the top. So that the whole thing is now an armored caravan. And they can move without any fear of, of fire. So they can move. When the army comes at them, they can take a step forward. One push, not individuals pushing, one whole thousand unit army pushing the enemy back. And so he gives the same type of command here and he, he says with one standing firm in one spirit with one mind just like a Roman army the Christian church should be in such unity that we move forward or back or left or right or put up our defenses or take down our, our defenses in one stride. Unity if there was disunity in the Roman phalanx, at one point it was a moment of weakness. If one person didn't have their shield up, that person would now invite the enemy. And you know what he would give him? He would give the enemy a foothold. We see that later in Scripture, that when we don't wear the armor of God as the body of Christ, we give Satan a foothold to get into our church and to get into your lives and to cause division. 
So we're supposed to be so unified as a family, as a body of Christ, that we are impenetrable. Nothing can come into our house. Nothing can come into our lives because we are spirit-filled in unity, walking in accordance with this. To stand firm is the word stako. And it literally means this, to his own master, he either stands or falls. He succeeds or fails or is honored or disgraced. So you have this person who goes to his general. As Christians, our general is Jesus Christ. And we go to him and we say, I'm willing to live for you, to die for you, whatever you want. I'll stand, I'll be dishonored. I'll be honored, whatever you want. I'll fall or I'll live in victory, regardless whatever your will is. And so you're standing there with that in mind, whatever, whatever my God wants. When we break rank, and this is how it would have been, and this is what Paul was alluring to, when we break rank and we flee or we give up a position, who do we dishonor? We dishonor ourselves. We dishonor, just like it would have been in that Roman soldier, a company. We dishonor our whole company when one of us in the body of Christ gives a foothold to the enemy. We dishonor all of us, so we dishonor ourselves, our spouse, our family, our church family, and most importantly, we dishonor our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. We dishonor that. And so this is the language. He's saying, stand firm. When you don't stand firm, you're dishonoring. And he was bringing about emotions because they all knew what a Roman phalanx was. It was the strongest military might in history for them to conquest. Let's keep going. In Ephesians 4, we see this same thing. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians 4, please. We're going to be beginning in verse 1, Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord. By the way, on a side note, the reasons we do not have verses or notes in there goes back to because I wasn't scheduled to preach, so... Bear with me, just turn in your Bibles. Sorry about the, about the lack of notes there. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Again, the same thought. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you have unity being so central for us, brothers and sisters. As part of the body of Christ, we are brothers and sisters. We should honor, love, encourage, and support one another in that type of manner. So when he talks about standing firm, that's what it means to stand firm. Let's continue on to verse 28. And then it says this, and as I was studying this, it was very eye-opening to me. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. Well, their opponents were persecution. They were being thrown in jail. Many times they were even going to the extremes of being burned at the stake or boiled in oil. These are extreme forms of persecution, many of which we don't have to face today. Praise God for that. But there are still forms of persecution or trials or emotional distress, things that we still do endure as Christians. Not to the extreme, but we still do endure those things. And then it says, 
not to be frightened by these things. Well, how is that? Have you ever thought, what is the purpose of persecution? Why does God allow us, his children, to suffer? I mean, if I really am a son of God, and you really are sons and daughters of God, why does he allow us to go through things to glorify his name? I mean, that's kind of conceited, right? That our Father, who really loves us, is going to allow us to endure things to honor him. You're like, I as a parent would never do that for my kids. Make them do this. Well, this passage talks about it. And let's dig into this. Because God has a purpose in this. And it's for a specific reason. It's not just the result of sin in the world. Yes, cumulatively it is. But he has a specific reason. Paul gives two reasons. And I would like for you to write them down. The first one is this. Our standing. You can write this on your notes page. Our standing firm during persecution is evidence to the world of their destruction brought about by God. Our standing firm during persecution is evidence to the world of their destruction brought about by God. Verse 28, it says, Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign. We're going to focus in on that word. Clear sign. This is a clear sign of their destruction. The Greek word for clear sign is indiexis, which means to show forth. It's a clear sign to the world. And I want to demonstrate what indiexis means rather than just a sign. If I said that man over there committed the crime. That man. Do you guys see him? That man over there. That woman. That woman is the one who stole that. That woman. Indiexis says something very different. Indiexis particularly says It's with the pointing of a finger that God brings about this. So the difference between that man, it would be like this. That man right there. That man. In the orange shirt. That man. He committed the crime. That woman right there in the white. That woman is the thief. Her. Do you guys see the difference between that person over there? That man did it. No, that man did it. There is a weight These people are like, I I didn't do anything. You know, there is a weight when a a finger is pointed. And this word, indiexis, says there is a clear sign that goes to the unbeliever, to the world, to the person who's not saved, that when they persecute a Christian, what happens? God says, you are persecuting my son, you are persecuting my daughter, and you will be judged for it. Do we understand this? If we understood this, we would do things differently in our life. And I want us to see how this looks because the Bible actually tells us some things about this. I want us to go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. These word studies always blow me away to to hear that it comes with the finger pointing. It's so much different than just say it's a clear sign. It's a clear sign with weight. A clear sign with weight. Luke chapter 23 verse 44 through 49. 
and I apologize to the two people that I, I called out, pointed out. They're probably very good people, okay? So, verse 44 through 49, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's already gone through persecution, and he is receiving the final effects of his persecution. It says, it was about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last breath. Listen to verse 47. The centurion, the person who helped hang Jesus on the cross, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight, saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. What does that mean? They understood they were guilty. They understood. Why? In Deixis, God pointed a finger and said, you just killed my son, an innocent man. That's how the centurion, he went through the whole process, helping them nail Jesus to the cross. And afterwards, what happened? There was a finger pointed in the context of that, and he understood he had fallen far. And he said, surely this was a righteous man. And he praised God and he understood his need for salvation. The same thing happens today when we endure persecution and trials. But secondly, and I want you to write down the second point. Secondly is this. It's much like the first. You can write down the first and change their destruction to our salvation. So secondly, our standing firm during persecution is evidence to the world of our salvation brought about by God. Let's continue looking in the passage. It says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but and I love this, of your salvation and of that from God. So persecution, when it's fulfilled, accomplishes two purposes, right? Their destruction and also our what, church? Our salvation, given by who? God. So their persecution given by God or their destruction given by God and our salvation the bad news is this, church. These two things that I just described only happen in a certain order. And the unfortunate news is it's only after the fact that these things take place. That we endure salvation and that we endure, or after the fact we endure persecution is the only time it happens. It doesn't happen before. Listen, if you're in a moment where you can, you're being persecuted and you have an option to stand firm or to back down, a clear sign is not given until what happens? You endure and stand firm. If you're confronted with something, and you were standing firm, and then you're confronted, and you're like, you know, it's not that big a deal. I'll, I'll step back. I'm not going to get into this whole big fight at work, or I'm not going to stand up for the name of Christ here because it's just not worth it. Listen, you've given all opportunities for the destruction, as well as the salvation to be off the table. Because God doesn't do a clear sign. He doesn't do indexis until 
you go through these things. And we see that with Jesus Christ. But also I want you to see it in Acts chapter 7. We see the same thing with Stephen, the first martyr. Acts chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 51 and 60. We have Stephen Stephen here. And I'm just jumping right to the, the best part of this thing. He's talking to this group of religious people that have denied Christ. And he starts out in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. Listen to verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The same type of thing. Jesus said, Don't hold this sin against them. Stephen did the same type of thing. And again, we see only afterwards when Stephen was bold and he stood firm, we see that a clear sign was given, right? We can almost pinpoint it where it happened in the passage. Did you hear the responses when God pointed in the Ixus and said, you? Let's go back. Verse 54, it says this, When they heard these things, they were enraged and they grind their teeth. Something happened there in their heart. Something happened there. God confronted that. And they got angry and they closed their heart to hearing God. And they continued in their efforts to bring about destruction of one of God's sons. And then also in Verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They rushed at him. They didn't want to hear anymore because God was pointing a finger at them through this. They didn't want to hear it. So they stoned him. Do we understand as Christians when we stand firm for Jesus Christ in our workplace, in our home, in our schools, wherever it is, when we stand firm and when tough times come, And we stand firm in the tough times and maybe we're ridiculed, maybe we're made fun of, maybe we lose a promotion, whatever it is, we stand firm. We need to understand God is working in that moment. He is pointing a finger at people who are ridiculing you. And it only happens after, unfortunately, you endure it. Only happens afterwards. And also, what is it that they're seeing during this time when you're standing firm? Why is it that they are saying, do not hold this sin against them? Why is it that you are saying you can still love them even though you're having this argument? Because it's a sign to them as well, what? About me and about you. That we are going to be saved by God. 
It's not just a sign of their destruction. It's two signs in one. You're going to be judged. And this is my son whom you're persecuting. So there's two workings in trials and persecutions. We need to understand that we have opportunities all the time to stand up. And it only happens when we back down from a situation. And I know I've done it many times. You know, you're in a moment and everybody around you doesn't agree with you. And then you're thinking, is this really worth going there, right? How many have ever been in this situation? Maybe it's a family reunion, right? And you're the only strong Christian. And everybody else is like, is this really worth getting into this whole thing? So you back down. Listen, you just lost the opportunity of having God point this thing out to them and to you. That's what makes the difference because we are standing firm. Verse 29, it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Granted to you. Granted that we should suffer. Is that something we enjoy to do? You know, if you want to grant me a new car, we're all up for that, right? Grant me a new car. Grant me this. Grant me that. Grant me to suffer. That's what his word says. We need to understand where any of us are living righteously before God, where any of us are living in a right manner, honoring God and glorifying Him, and we are standing tall, bold, firm for Christ, persecution and suffering is going to be there too. Because you can't have both. You can't have a Christian who is standing firm without coming into the world. Jesus promised us this, that as we live for Him, He promised us this one thing, you will endure trials and persecutions. If you're not enduring these things, it's because probably we're like, well, that's not worth it. I'm, I'm going to back away from this situation. And we are missing an opportunity for God to confront. Listen, when God points a finger and he says, you are coming against my son or daughter, there's an opportunity for that person to realize who they are and who Christ is and become a Christian. That's what happened to the Roman centurion. So when we don't stand firm, we're actually not loving this person. We need to see that. When I don't stand firm, I'm not only not loving God, but I'm not giving this individual an opportunity to see the difference in what God has done and what he's doing and who they are. So we need to stand firm because we love the unbeliever that we are going at odds with because it's through that that Christ will show them. I heard a story, maybe you can relate to this, and it was a pastor a preacher, this was from years and years and years ago, great, um, a pastor, and he was driving, or he was walking along, and there was a car accident that happened over here, and this is bringing this into real life here, car accident, the person who was at fault ran smack into the, the back of another car, and then he saw the driver kind of get out and stumble out and switch into the passenger seat, and the passenger jump over into the driver's seat. The driver was drunk and driving, okay? But he jumped into the passenger side. And this man of God saw the whole thing. There were some other people who saw it. Police get there, start filling out reports, and the, the driver starts telling them, I don't know what happened. I just hit the back of this car. And, and he goes up and he says, excuse me, officer, I saw the whole thing. Do you know where I'm going with this? Excuse me, officer, I saw the whole thing. And this man in the passenger seat was actually driving, and I believe he's intoxicated. 
This man was in the passenger seat. And he said, the crowd, what happened? The crowd started, shh, what are you doing? Stop. Let them deal with it. Let them deal with it. Stop butting in. He started getting evil looks. This is practical, right? I mean, when things like this happen and you as a Christian, you're like, that's not right. And you could be like, is it worth it? Is it worth getting into this? And the crowd started doing this, saying that's not what it was. And the man of God said, I will fly from where I live on the East Coast. I will fly all the way back because it was in California. I will fly all the way back to testify in court that this is what I saw. What is that? Indiexus showing I am a man of God and I'm standing firm. And this is a clear sign to every single one of you that you are doing wrong. And it is a clear sign of my salvation that God is pointing out to you that I am saved. It's in those little moments of life that God is the one who works through these things. But we need to understand also men, women of the world, they love to live in darkness. When you enter into a room or with a group of friends and you have the spirit of Christ living in you, you're called to be a light. And when you're there, men don't like light. Spiritually or unspiritual men, they don't like the light. They like to live in their darkness. So when you enter into this and you are the light, we need to understand that there is going to be some conflict there, but God has granted us a gift to be able to stand firm with him and for him in the midst of trials, persecutions, heartache. Maybe it's just a spiritual, like people are going to look at me or not be my friends anymore. We are called to receive this as a gift of God. That it in effect accomplishes his purpose. So I think often we don't live bold lives for Christ because we're thinking, well, what is it going to matter? If we understand that one, God is going to give each member a clear sign. One, this is wrong. Two, I've set this man or woman apart for my purpose and salvation. Then I think we would probably live lives differently if we understand that God is working in these things. And two, that we experience suffering for Christ's sake as a gift. It's one of the only things that we can identify with Jesus Christ in the same manner. And as we are going to go into a time of communion, we need to understand communion is the very fact of us entering into the same type of thing Jesus Christ did, that we are entering into his suffering and identifying ourselves as Christians with what he went through. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to just turn over to Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 34. And this passage is just talking about... um, The communion passage. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, and I'm going to go through 34. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And if the deacons would please come forward with the elements... When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, 
saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. It's an opportunity that we identify with Jesus Christ. And I, I want to share a story with you. The Bible says we are not to take of these elements that represent Jesus Christ's sacrifice in a manner unworthy. And I just want to share with you what a manner of unworthy is. When I was younger and I was at church, I thought I was a Christian at the time, but I wasn't. My parents went to church, so I said I was a Christian and did the whole raise my hand, but I really wasn't saved for many years later. And I remember taking communion. And to me, our church had fresh baked bread for communion. So I was excited about this as a kid. Excited, so I'm like, yes, it's communion day. Most excited time I was ever to go to church. And then there was fresh baked bread. And you came up and you got to tear a piece off. So it's like, I hope I tear it and it's a bigger piece. You know, so I was excited about that. It wasn't anything about representing Jesus Christ's body. And then drinking the little cup was fun. And I remember afterwards, my brothers and I would all run as soon as church was out. Do you know where we would go? The fellowship hall. We would run to the fellowship hall because that's where they kept the leftovers of this bread and this drink. So we would run there and we would just eat and drink. And it was almost a race of how much we could eat. And I remember the first time when I was in college really hearing a message on communion and what communion meant. That these elements you're going to receive represent actually Jesus Christ's body that was broken, scorned, and hung on a cross because of your sins and my sins. And I remember understanding and having these in my hands, being broken, weeping, because it was the first time I actually understood what these elements represented. The same thing with the cup and his blood that was shed that now covers all of my sins. So as they begin passing these out, Spend some time with God. Thank Him for what He's done for you. And it's okay if you're not sure if you're a follower of Christ. It's okay to let it pass by you. Don't take it in a manner unworthy like I used to do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've accepted Him into your life, then this is open communion. Then we ask and we encourage you to partake in this. So if you would like to go ahead and please distribute these. Thank you. And if you hold them, and we'll partake all together at the end.
just want to pray for each of the elements, and then after I'm done praying for one, then we'll take it together. So let's talk about the body. God, we do praise you for Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your body that was given on our behalf, that went through so much. God, we thank you for doing that so we don't have to. God, help us to stand firm so that there can be a clear sign given by you to the world and also to us that we are representing ourselves with you, with your broken body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray. God, we do praise you for the blood of Jesus Christ, which covers us, washes us, cleans us. Where there is no shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, and I thank you that he was the ultimate sacrifice that can cleanse all of us from our sins. God, help us to live our life knowing that we have salvation, that it is a work that you have done on our behalf. God, we praise you for that. Help us to be in obedience to you and walk in a life worthy of what it means to be called a citizen of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you, church for coming this morning and I want to pray for us one more time and then we're going to lead into worship and I encourage you to come back and join us tonight for our business meeting and we'll have a time of worship, a time of prayer and testimonies and things going on in our church. So I encourage you to come back. Let's pray and then Jamie will close us in worship. God, we do praise you again this morning just for everything that you've given us. We praise you for who you are. God, we thank you for this morning and that uh, we have your word that you still challenge and convict and encourage. God, help us to be a church that is unified in all areas. God, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.